This is episode number 197, How to Be a Better Communicator with ProKit's co-founder, David Swain. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. It's giving feedback early and often. The easiest mistake to make is to not give feedback as it happens. As something happens where someone took credit for your work or they said something that offended you, the easiest thing is to just sit on that and build up resentment. And you're like, I'm going to wait for that to happen again, and then I'm going to be really mad. Instead of that, right after it happened, because hopefully you are communicating in a open and more vulnerable way, you can deliver the feedback as things are happening and it deflates it and builds trust and respect. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And I cannot believe how fast this month has gone by. We are in the last week of May, which means summer is on the way. And it's been pretty rainy around here in these parts. And I recently put an Instagram post, and my Instagram is at Sonia Looney and the number one. That's Sonia Looney one if you want to check it out. But it was kind of about the moody weather and how it makes us feel whenever we're trying to get outside and exercise. I know for me, whenever I first moved to British Columbia from Colorado and New Mexico, where I grew up and it's sunny all the time, it was a bit of a shock for it to be cloudy a lot. And it definitely affects my motivation whenever I look outside and the sky is dark and it's gloomy. And I admit that I frequently think, well, maybe I'll just skip today because I don't feel motivated. And I notice that whenever it's sunny, I'll feel excited and motivated to go out even whenever I should be resting. So it's crazy how light and weather can affect our mood. And there are things like vitamin D supplements and UV lights that can help with that. But really, it's thinking about how you feel in that moment to get over that hump of not getting outside because you don't feel like it because of the weather. And certainly there are times when you do need to rest whenever you're tired. And I'm not saying that you should just skip your rest day or, you know, if you're not feeling well to just not listen to that. But if you feel like you're just being unmotivated or even lazy because it's not sunny outside, what I do is I start thinking, how will I feel about this decision later? How will I feel about myself later if I decide not to go out and just stay on the couch And I've mentioned this before, but the power of showing up is so important and just telling yourself that you'll start for just five minutes. And if you don't want to do it anymore after five minutes, you can turn around and go home. And that is something that I apply, especially whenever it's cloudy out. And you almost always regret choosing to not go out on your ride or your run or whatever is the thing that you're putting off. And thinking about what future me would be proud of, would future Sonia be proud that I decided to stay on the couch and not go outside because it's cloudy? Well, the answer is no, I wouldn't be proud of that. Each time you can overcome that excuse and be stronger than those excuses, you strengthen your resolve and you strengthen the type of person that you want to be. And I like to think of it as it's another tick mark. It's another vote towards the type of person you want to be whenever you go out and do the thing, even though you didn't want to get started. That's just some quick thoughts this week, and it's been on my mind a lot, especially because it's been rainy. But today, I'm pretty excited because we are going to be talking about communication. Yes, communication is super important. I know we've all been there in our relationships, at work, with our kids. 
Communication is, in my opinion, one of the most important things that we can work on. Today's guest is an expert in communication. His name is David Swain, and he is the co-founder of a new platform that you might have started hearing about called ProKit. The best thing about podcasting is that I get to learn even more about a person's story, even when they are a friend. And David and I have had lots of really great conversations, and I've actually been on his podcast as well, which I will link up in the show notes. And it's actually a podcast through ProKit called Common Threads. But I first met David Swain when we connected over ProKit. ProKit celebrates adventurers and athletic experiences, whether you're just getting started or you are breaking world records. And I have to say that on the platform, there are all different types of athletes, different types of sports, different levels of sport. And the platform is designed to help cut through the noise, to learn from the best and find the community that you need to reach your potential. And it's been pretty cool because Laura King and I, who you've heard on a previous podcast, have been contributing content about motherhood as well. So there is a lot of diverse information out there on that platform. And that is ProKit.com if you want to check it out. Before we get into it, I wanted to let you guys know that I have some new items available at MoxieAndGrit.com. And Moxie and Grit is my lifestyle and apparel brand. And it's M-O-X-Y and Grit.com. You may be familiar with the Do Epic Shit Socks or the Magical Unicorn Socks, but we also have stem caps on there. And stem caps go on your stem cap on your bike. So where your stem meets your fork, that is where the stem cap goes. And I have some fun messages and there is a new Do Epic Shit stem cap and it's available in four colors and there's a few other ones. And actually one of my favorite ones is the Limits Live in Our Minds stem cap. And I use that in races because it reminds me that I am the one who is creating self-limiting beliefs about what I'm capable of. And that one has been really powerful for me. I also recently designed some new t-shirts. So there's some Quadzilla t-shirts and even some baby onesies on there. So I've been having fun with graphic design and continuing to work on my skills in that area as well. And that's moxieandgrit.com. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to hit subscribe. There's lots of people that listen to podcasts and don't actually subscribe to the show. That way you won't miss an episode. And I also have a free weekly newsletter at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter that goes into the podcast for the week. Any articles that I've written or found and anything fun that I want you guys to know about. And last, thank you so, so much to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. And both of those banners are on my website, sonyalooney.com slash podcasts, or you can go to patreon.com slash the Looney show. And those contributions go towards paying my audio engineer, Roma, who has been with me since episode one to make sure that every single episode sounds crisp and amazing. And he does such a phenomenal job. So thank you to Roma and to those of you who are helping support that. And also to my assistant, Tina, who helps get guests on the show, who helps make sure this podcast is uploaded in a timely manner every single week. All right, moving on. So let's talk a little bit more about David Swain. I mentioned he is the co-founder of ProKit. And the idea of it first popped in his head in 2013 when he signed up for his first cyclocross race. And he lives in the Bay Area. And just like when all of us start new things, David wondered how to train, what gear to use, where to race, what to eat, what events his friends were doing, and the idea of ProKit was born. How many of us have been in that situation? I know I have. 
And David is so much more than the founder of ProKit with his diverse and interesting background. His experience in communication and team building is unparalleled. David's story is interesting and a wild ride from driving cross country to San Francisco to traveling the world and eventually landing at Facebook in 2008. He's written speeches for Mark Zuckerberg. He's fought international communications fires. He's helped launch the like button to the world. And in 2013, David joined the leadership team at Instagram and worked on everything that went into building the company. He also was responsible for building the brand and the approach to growing it internationally. He had a team of 23 people in nine countries and did everything from meeting Pope Francis to navigating how Instagram created its internal culture, goal setting, and more. You can imagine the challenges of working in such an intense environment with different personalities. And we all have personally experienced from our perspective, the birth and growth of Instagram and being on the inside would be a whole other ballgame. In this podcast, we talked about communication strategies as individuals, communication in teams and relationships, the power of a whiteboard, which I personally like using, the importance of diversity when building a team, when and how to give and receive feedback, how many of us have received feedback that we didn't like, how meditation has been a game changer for David, the difference between meaning and happiness, and so much more. I encourage you guys to check out the show notes where ProKit.com is linked up and there's some articles that David has written, including how to build a meaningful career. So here we go. Here is David Swain. Well, first of all, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We've had lots of conversations on our own and I've been on your podcast, but it's going to be really fun to be on the other side of the mic from you. Yes, it's fun. It is uh, right in the middle of coronavirus season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> maybe it's not the, I don't know, it might be the beginning still, like they're talking about it coming back. So maybe this is just the beginning. Yeah, hopefully not. Not to crush people's souls. Hopefully we get lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we uh, hit record on the microphone, we were just talking about communication and how articulate you are with your communication whenever I was trying to prep for this podcast and how you as somebody that was part of the leadership team at Instagram and, you know, higher up at Facebook, how you did that for like Mark Zuckerberg. What are some of the most important bullet points about communication when talking about yourself, number one, which is the hardest and number two, when working in a team? Yeah, I think one of the things that's been interesting in communication. So I've been in, the field for since 2000 and is how much it's changed. So it started with everyone doing press releases and this formal communication coming from the company, talking at the people and then trying to control really like the, get the press about a company to be as, as on message to that press release or that formal company communication as you could get. And I think one of the things that's changed the most, and it will get to how people talk about themselves, like one of the things that's changed the most in the last decade is, and it sounds like a buzzword, but like communication has gotten so much more authentic. You know, we threw out, we were, I think, pretty far ahead of people. We stopped doing press releases at Facebook and definitely never did anything like that at Instagram. And I, I started there and 
uh, the beginning of 2013. So they were 20 employees and we had the privilege of being able to invent kind of the playbook from scratch for how we would talk. And, and I think that, you know, we made a lot of very specific decisions for us there, but they all played to understanding your community, your values as a company, and then finding a voice that was authentic to those. And I think that's true whether you're a company or a person is really understanding your purpose, what you stand for, what you want to be remembered for, and then making sure that the communication, you know, is is clear and authentic from that. I mean, one of the mistakes that gets made a lot, and I make it myself, is trying to communicate too many things. So a lot of these things sound like cliches because they're, but they, you know, that you really do want to narrow it down to hopefully like three things, whether you're an athlete or you're a coach or you're a brand, what are the, what are those core three things, whether it's an announcement or your overall vision as a company and making sure that you can, you can bring everything back to those. Because if you start, if you try to communicate 10 things, people aren't going to remember any of them. But if you can communicate a few clearly and everything connects back to it in an authentic way, hopefully you'll be able to connect clearly. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, you did a podcast for ProKit and it was with the CEO. I can't remember his name, but the CEO was Zwift. And I'm somebody that's pulled in every direction and wants to do everything. And this is probably one of my downfalls that exactly what you're identifying. And I remember him saying for their team, they're trying to they, they have three things. So like with Instagram, for example, you said that you guys had to come up with your own playbook of how you wanted to communicate brand. And and also for yourself, I, I'd like to hear this. When you have an idea soup, it's like alphabet soup, there's like a billion ideas, a billion different ways of doing something. And you have the, you have the luxury, it, it's a luxury and a curse almost of creating your own playbook. How do you decide what are those three ideas whenever every idea seems good? Yeah, there's so many, so many ways and so much depends on kind of the state of the company. We, again, with Instagram, one of the things we were so lucky to have is our, the founders of Instagram. So Kevin Sistrom and Mike Krieger both had such a clear vision on what the company was, what they wanted it to be. And then for us, our job was to understand that and, and hopefully just narrow that down and make it easier for both them to talk, but also for us as employees to talk to the community, for us to narrow down how we talked about the products we had. So there's a lot of that you, that you can go to the, I spent my whole career on a whiteboard and for me that worked. So I would, any room I was in, either I was at the whiteboard or someone on my team was, and we did a lot of putting all of the options up, you know, and then you draw the circles where they overlap and you narrow down the themes, you know, you get closer and closer to what are those themes. And once you get there, then it's a lot easier to make the decisions of which, you know, once you have those themes, which points are going to bring them to life. And we can go through examples if that's helpful. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, let's use ProKit as an example. First of all, I guess, tell people what ProKit is, and then we can use that as the case study, and then we can weave that into the fabric of the rest of our podcast. Okay, awesome. And everyone listening can treat this as like one of my first whiteboard sessions, because we haven't even talked about ProKit much publicly. So Ah. um, people can send through the feedback of uh, see if we can narrow it down. So 
So really pro kits, a community for athletes. So we looked at, you know, what would, if you had built, you know, the way that LinkedIn built its entire platform for your, the career side of your life, what would a platform look like if you built it from the ground up around the athletic experience and that side of your life where you care about health, you care about your mind, you care about longevity, food, performance, like all of those components that, that play into how you perform as a person, you know, from, from a mind body perspective. So, you know, my co-founder and I both have been very surprised over the last decade that there's been all these platforms that emerge for each side of your life. There's Spotify for your music, LinkedIn for your career, Nextdoor for your neighborhood, but it's still really hard to find trusted content on how you should train, you know, what you should eat, which podcasts are good. There's so much content out there, but it's hard to have that filter to apply it to yourself at whatever stage you're in as an athlete. So that's kind of what we set out to build. And we're still five, you know, five or six months into having it open. So it's, it's very early days, but, you know, we definitely want to give people a way to kind of find inspiration, connect with people they can trust, really hopefully cut through a lot of the noise that's out there and then just have fun as athletes. Like if you could build a platform around your athletic life, like what does that look like? So we want to bring together, you know, the things you're training for, the races you've done or the events you've done, the race reports, like bring all of that kind of knowledge together, but also make it fun to share that side of your life. So my question with that, with the whiteboard is that that's a lot. And this is actually exactly the same thing that I go through um, with all the things I'm interested in because we like the same things. That's a pretty broad ocean of things like within diet and nutrition, there's a billion different things within cycling. There's a lot of different things. And a lot of the podcasts I listen to, they're, they're like, you need to have a niche. Like it needs, you need to just like narrow, narrow, narrow down. But what you're saying is no, we don't want to narrow down because people aren't unidimensional. And I agree. So whenever you have your overlapping circles, how do you make sure that you stay within the lines? Because there's just so much that you could be putting out there. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think we believe like very strongly that, you know, you're not just the training side of your body you're not like if you're to perform well at work or as an athlete and in whatever you're doing you need to be paying attention to all sides like what you're eating how you're sleeping the what you're doing for your mind how you're training strength like all of that so from that perspective we want to be broad but i do think when when we look at where we're starting we are picking kind of categories because even if we want to have broad themes that are relevant like we know we can't be ProKit can't be relevant to everyone from the beginning, meaning like for us, we looked at, you know, segments of like trail running, they're in running, like looking a little bit more closely at trail running and cycling. We've been looking a little bit more at gravel biking. And for the same reason that like Instagram looked at photography and food and sports where they were, you know, told visually like the NBA. So for us, we are we are trying to isolate down to a few sports to start. And it doesn't mean we, we definitely want to get to the broader categories in the future. But we do. You need to be able to show up on ProKit and feel like you can kind of find your tribe or your community. So 
you know, we're not going to be able to do that for everything at the beginning. So we are definitely focusing. You know, we we made the big decision of like we do want to do a lot of those themes well. Like if you show up on the site, you see mind just as heavily on focus as training. And so those are like the macro decisions, but then how we get there, we, we do have to start, you know, with a and you know, another category that we not category, but like another theme that we believe heavily is important is similar to like mind is we want to be as good or better for female athletes than we are for men because that's another area where like why is that not the case today that you can there's not many places you can go where that is true so if when if we're highlighting content from the community or we're interviewing people or we're bringing we're heavily focused on on in any category we're in on celebrating the stories from the female athletes and experts as much as possible. Yeah. And as a female, that's something I've really appreciated with the pro kit. There's something that you talk about a lot and it's about diversity and representation in teams. And there's a great article you wrote that's on pro kit that I'll link in the show notes for people. Um, It's a lot of these great life lessons that you've written about. And one of them is diversity. How important is that? Like, why is it so important to have people that are different from you? Because a lot of times we gravitate towards people that look like us, people that talk like us, people that with the same interests as us. And it's hard to bring people into your team that might have a conflicting point of view or might change the culture of what you're trying to create. So how do you have good diversity and representation without rocking the culture or and, and having it add to the culture? Yeah, this is it. It's a interesting one because everyone your comfort zone i think for most of us is is to kind of surround yourself with people that look like you or talk like you or act like you and and you know it's hard to imagine that maybe you have some unconscious bias that like you actually select people who do look like you or act like you right but but most of us do and it's way easier to build a team of people who have the same strengths as you and like to do the same stuff. But I mean, even you just take a specific sport within that sport, there's people of all demographics and income levels and weight and size and ability levels. And I mean, one of the, you know, part of the reason we've looked at the gravel cycling community is, you know, it's a very welcoming, positive, supportive place like you can finish at the back or the front like what is the, the mullet protocol oh, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> race in the front party in the back and you know from a uh, we think that's exciting from like an athletic perspective but from a career side and this took me a long time to learn and luckily like we were kind of pushed pretty we were almost like forced to think this way into like question our, ourselves and you know, for me, my early teams did look more like me, but the further I got into my career, the more I realized how much better the entire team performed and how much better we actually did as a company because the people you're serving don't look like you, like always, right? And I mean, to be specific on it, like, you know, so I work in communications and marketing partnerships and one of the things I talk about is just diversity of skill set and strengths. And you can have people on the, for any team, almost anything you can think of, you need kind of the analytical detail oriented person. 
You need the skeptic who is questioning things and seeing the problems. You need the person that's creative, that's coming up with the big ideas. The skeptic is then questioning. But the pers- without the person with the big ideas, there's no movement, right? And then you need the person who is like the checklist hammer person who's just going to make sure everything on the team gets done and is kind of frustrated. You want that. You want the person who's frustrated because things aren't getting done on your team. And the procrastinator who's the person who stays up late at night, but in that late at night time is coming up with the idea that's going to make your company succeed six months from now because they had this crazy vision when they were sitting around wasting time. <laughs> so all of those people play such a core role in any business or team environment. And I think, yeah, I know from my experience on any team I've been part of or that the highest performing teams I've seen, that that is true. And it's a little bit of a belief you have to have that it is good and that that's, you're going to get further as a person by putting yourself outside your comfort zone and, and really seeking out those opinions that might make you feel uncomfortable. But once you understand where you can get by having those, you know, those diverse opinions there, I just think it's, yeah, it's a good state to be in. I'm sure people listening could hear and relate with one of those personality types, or maybe more than one that you listed. I think that this comes down to two things. So number one, it's within those personalities, people being humble enough to listen to somebody else's idea without immediately shutting down, because it can be really hard whenever you are the ideas person. And then the operations person who has to execute the idea starts backing against the wall, like, wait a second, no. So like, how would you manage that tension between making sure everybody can be creative and at their best and, 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 using their gifts in the team versus whenever somebody on the, I don't want to use opposing, but on the opposite end of the spectrum starts feeling that tension and, and the way that those ideas are communicated back and forth and, and, and spread around the team, that type of communication style is also important because everybody communicates differently. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, definitely true. Um, I don't know if there's like a one size, it's all approach to that because a lot of it depends on like the team size and structure and, and, you know, whether you're remote teams or you're in the office together every day. And I can tell you that from what I've seen, like everybody wants to be seen as a person on the team. So hopefully the manager of the team or of the company knows that and, and is able to build kind of communication structures and goals so that, um, you know, for, for my team, we had a weekly meeting where everybody went around and talked. So there was like, you did be around the room and everybody had a chance, which to your point, there's people in the room who even that is, is, um, is something that's super uncomfortable for some people and they're super humble and they're not going to like speak up in that setting. Um, so we also did like a weekly report where my job as the team leader was to make sure that those people were being recognized both to their teammates and to the broader company and the leadership team. Um, and so a lot of that falls on, you know, the leader, the leader of the team to put in place a structure and an environment that makes sure that if you're not the talker, that there is written communication that acknowledges a person for what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that 
directly answers it because it, it's it is a, it's a fuzzy it's like a fuzzy thing where I think the leader has to be pretty. I mean, I always talk like the the emotional intelligence of in any environment of you know the the person managing that communication structure so that there is a diverse team where people are rewarded for speaking up and kind of being vulnerable. We definitely did a lot of stuff outside of work where people got to know each other outside of, um, which I think those little nuances also really matter that you see each other as people and not just as coworkers. Um, and I mean, I learned that from the younger people who came into the workforce over the last decade and they kind of demanded that like even 20 years ago, you know, work was, you kind of had your work self and then you left your home self at home. <laughs> and I, I think it's just, I think it's great that people bring kind of all of it to work now. And I think that's a, a great progression. And I think as managers, people need to reward people for, for representing kind of who they are. Yeah. Having vulnerability, especially in high pressure environments is a really challenging thing for people because people want to appear competent and have it together. And also the leader and the manager wants to appear that way are also, I was talking to a friend of mine, she's head of the hospice unit here in Kelowna and we're talking about coronavirus and things like that and how she has, even though she's stressed as the leader, she has to appear calm, but she also has to appear human um, so that she can relate with all the people. So yeah, again, I think it comes down to being humble. It's like being humble enough to be vulnerable, to appear to not have all the answers at every given moment, but know that people are still going to respect you. Yeah, I, I agree. The, I mean, the humility side and, you know, from my perspective, like you love working for the people who, who don't act like the reason that you hire a great team is that they can help bring answers. Like your job as the leader is not to, there's a difference between projecting confidence, which that confidence can be in your team, not necessarily in yourself, right? Like showing that you as an organization, as a team, as a unit can come up with the right answers. You know, that's going to give those people the, the kind of the freedom and the accountability to go help you come up with them rather than to act as a leader that you that you can solve everything on your own. And I think that this applies, like if people listening, they're like, well, I don't lead a team or I don't even work in a team, but this applies in relationships with your family, with your friends. So from a, um, a delivering and receiving constructive criticism standpoint, because everybody has received criticism, whether it be constructive or not, and everybody has tried to deliver a want or a need or feedback to somebody. In your experience, what is the best way to deliver feedback so that it doesn't offend somebody. And on the flip side, what is a, how do people have more grace with receiving constructive feedback? Yeah, the receiving part, the, let me think about that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think giving feedback, the easiest answer that I can think of that works in all environments is more that it's early and often that you're not holding feedback. The biggest mistake that I think people make and the, the easiest mistake to make is to not give feedback as it happens. As something happens where someone took credit for your work or they said something that offended you, the easiest thing is to just sit on that and kind of build up resentment. And you're like, I'm going to wait for that to happen again. And then I'm going to be really mad. And then I'm going <laughs> to, whereas 
instead of that, you can right after it happened, because hopefully you are communicating as like open and in a more vulnerable way when people know each other outside of work, right? Like you can deliver the feedback as things are happening and it deflates it and takes a lot of it. And it also builds trust and respect that, you know, I think I've definitely seen that where receiving feedback is hard, but when you know somebody is delivering it from a, the right place and it is kind of the more early and often, but there's also that this is a hard question because there's also the, there is a point where I think one progression I've seen kind of like over the last 10 years, like the flip side of vulnerability is like, there's almost been a, the sensitivity levels, I would say have almost been too high. So once everybody does deliver early and often feedback, at least I've seen this, like we're, we were in like a more forward leaning environment where this, I think a lot of things that are happening now were happening a couple of years ago. And you can get in a situation where everything offends you and you're like, they said this word that triggered this and they shouldn't have said it. And then as a manager or as a spouse or as any, you're like constantly worried about what you're going to say because you're constantly going to offend someone. I also think that's a bad scenario. So early and often doesn't mean that you don't have a little bit of empathy. You're not waiting to attack someone. It's more of if something really happened that needs to be addressed, find the right way to do it. And usually in person is better than written and sooner is better than later. So I think those are some basic principles. Yeah, I think that that's a really great way to kind of start that process. Because like you said, you could be afraid that you're going to be if, like, for me, it's something that I have had to work on to, you know, if something's bothering me to not just let it roll off my back, because at some point, it's going to become a bigger issue. But it takes courage to speak up whenever you're upset about something, because you don't want to offend people. And you want the people around you to feel good. But at the same time, to operate well as a team or in a relationship, it's important to be able to speak up for yourself. But finding the right balance with, well, how often should I say when I'm upset about something and finding the, the right litmus test for you to know if something's really bothering you or if you're just being too annoying speaking up all the time is it's really hard to know and it's really individual. Yeah, it definitely is. And this is like, you know, trying to understand where people are coming from and put yourself in their shoes is always helpful, especially in, the, in, in any environment, but definitely in work is you know, what, what did that person go through that day? What are they dealing with? And just going into the situation with some empathy for what's happening on the other side. Has your meditation practice, you mentioned that you do headspace and that meditation has been a game changer for you. Has that helped you with your communication and also with receiving feedback from others? Definitely. And yeah, my meditation practice is, is down right now. It needs to come up <laughs> the last year, but it, it was completely game changing for me. So the environment where I walked into meditation was, you know, I was managing a 20 something person team. My wife was back in school full time. I had two little kids, you know, it was, everything was like high pressure and high intensity. And my reaction to that was to exercise more, to find hobbies, to do everything I could to like, do all the things you're supposed to do to check the box. And what I realized was I needed that. I just needed things to slow down and to be able to like help find my focus and to ground myself. 
for all of those things so that you could be more present with everything happening. So I meditated I, every day for probably two years in my wow. backyard at 6.30 in the morning for 15 minutes. And within a month, it, I mean, it, was, it changed everything for me. Like hard conversations got easier, not getting thrown. You're not, yeah, and it, again, like, I, I'm the person who naturally lives in the past and the future. Like, I like both, and I'm always thinking about both. And it was the first time since I was a little kid where I actually felt like I was living just right now and controlling what I could control. And, you you know, everyone's so busy now, and stress levels are so high, and there's so much changing around you that being able to kind of find that presence again, for me, was was huge. Yeah, the doing things to check out versus doing things for yourself to check in is a really important thing to think about because sometimes whenever you think you're doing something for yourself to, quote, check in, you're actually checking out. Like certain times you can go out for your ride or your run and you're thinking like, yeah, I'm going to go check in with myself, but really you're not. You're doing it. I'm sure people listening can relate. Like you'll go do intervals because it hurts and you're focused on the interval and now you can't think about anything else. So it's a hard, I don't know the answer, but is that checking out or is that checking in? And I would say for me, when I do that, that's me checking out. It's me saying, I got to just, it's like, well, I have a new baby at home. When babies cry, when they get really upset, it's because they're overstimulated and all they can do is cry because they need to block out everything else. And babies certainly can't be, you know, they're not self-aware enough to be checking in, but the meditation practice of checking in is important. And it's hard for some people to do that. It's scary to check in with yourself, like sitting with your own thoughts can be the most intimidating thing that anybody could ever do. Yeah, especially, and I don't know, I mean, assuming a lot of people get drawn to something like that, like when they need it the most, like when there's like some sort of life event or something's pushing them, they're like hit some sort of breaking point where they're like, I need, I need to try something new, whether it's journaling or meditation or whatever. And yeah, and that can be pretty intimidating because you're worried what's going to happen when you do check in. <laughs> but yeah, my experience was, was incredible. So, and I need to get back to it because like, it's like any, any of those things, it's about consistency and it's easy to check out of that once you don't need it as much anymore. So yeah, I think staying on it. So I want to shift gears a little bit. You, when you moved to San Francisco, you sort of just finished school and said, okay, I'm just going to go to San Francisco and I've never even been there before. What made you choose San Francisco and how did you decide to go without having a plan? So my girlfriend, who's now my wife, we met studying abroad in Vienna and like our weekends away were kind of the escape to the mountains from the city and we loved it. And you know, we, we studied at St. Lawrence University in northern New York, really in the complete middle of nowhere. And the common path at many of the schools in the Northeast, especially then, was to go to New York City and to go to banking or Wall Street. And I was into the outdoors and, you know, and but I also knew I cared about my career. And I had never been to San Francisco. And I don't think my wife had either. And it had the dot-com boom going. And there was, we were both skiers. There was Lake Tahoe on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other and a job environment in the middle. And it felt, yeah, it just felt perfect to get in the car. We had no plan. I sold my 1987 old Saab that I'd fixed up with my dad to a pizza delivery guy. And uh, 
took that $900 and that's what got us across the country. And we had no place to live and no job <laughs> and we went for it. So, and we were supposed to be here for three years and that was 20 years ago. Why three years? And that was like the mental, we had given ourselves that like probably takes a year or so to settle in and figure out what the jobs are like and meet friends and become part of the community. And, and then we'd go back and be around our family. So, and that was really important. That was always been the hardest part about being out here is our family still separated from us. So we definitely wanted to go back and we got to the end of three years and the market had completely collapsed in the Bay area and most of our friends had left. And so we quit our jobs and traveled for a year to try to kind of figure out, like, do we go back to the Bay Area and stay in it? Or do we kind of go go back to the Northeast like most of our friends had? So how do you believe opportunities present themselves to people? Or how do you make your own opportunities? Because it sounds like you went out there without a plan and you, you both were able to take risks and like look for opportunities, even when there might not be some. And I think that a lot of times people think, I just want to do that next thing, but I don't know what that is. And looking for opportunity can be daunting, especially if you feel trapped. So like, how, how has that presented itself for you? And also like, as you've moved through your career? I, my, like, in my like big bets in my career and in my life, I would say, getting back to like the meditation side, like, like obsessively thinking about the future. So it's not like mine aren't, they're not like big bets of like, Oh, I'm going to get in the car and drive to San Francisco. It's like, you know, I did research all my, you know, all winter that mm -hmm. year in 1999 to like study every, you know, cool town and city and what's going on what the job market. So it was, it was like a, you know, everything. And even like when I went to Facebook, that was a big bet. Like Facebook in 2008 was actually having like flattening growth. MySpace was still bigger. Um, it was run by what everybody thought were a bunch of like 21 year old college kids that didn't really know what they were doing. And um, even the bet to go join then. But like same thing. I mean, I took that decision super seriously. I think that the common thread for me has been being very willing to have those conversations and understand what's out there and and push myself outside of my comfort zone to like make those phone calls like i saw facebook happening in 2007 i knew you know they launched in 2004 but i didn't really see it kind of in my friend group starting to bubble up until 2007 and i knew someone who was there that i had worked with or I had interviewed with in 2004 when I came back from traveling and I reached out to her and she responded and we had a, we had a call and then she, she was so busy because Facebook was exploding then in like its first major crisis. And she didn't get back to me for three months, but I kept sending her notes. So I think there, for me, there's like a common thread of like pushing myself outside my comfort zone to make those calls and to take in as much kind of data and inputs as I can, and then to be very persistent on anything I want to chase once I know I'm chasing it. How do you know when to stop? Because I think that a lot of us can relate saying, yeah, I've continued to email or call for this one opportunity that I really wanted, but when do you give up? It depends how much you want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a good question. And yeah. And 
I mean, luckily in that case for me, we had a good relationship and I was getting positive signals from her, but I knew I didn't take it personally that she wasn't responding because I knew they were going through a crisis. So if she had responded and said, Hey, this just isn't the right time. You're not the right fit. You know, then you make, you have that one conversation and see if you can push it the other way. And then, yeah, I would have, I'm sure gone a different direction if that had happened. So yeah, I, I, I would say I'm like, Although starting ProKit, I've thought about this for over a decade. A lot of people have said, you know, the failure rates in tech are extremely high. <laughs> and starting it's not like a new category of something is super daunting. You know, most investors would tell me not to do it. I just, the same thing with this, like I have a pretty deep belief that this needs to be created, whether we do it or someone else does it. And so... But it took me five years of playing with other company ideas until I finally came back to the one that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. And it's amazing with the experience that you've had that you've decided I'm going to walk away from Instagram and I'm going to start this other thing, this new thing that nobody's doing. And it takes so much courage to do that. And also knowing that it could fail. What have been the main things that you've taken away from working for the biggest social media networks in the world to starting your own company? And how are you applying those? Uh, it, that's a, so there's so much, you realize how much you know about how a company should operate and grow once it has momentum. Like that, I, like if you put me inside a company with a hundred employees and a little bit of runway, like, I know every playbook and how to piece it together and like who to hire and how all those things work. Like if we can get to that stage, then like I have that playbook in my brain, I can already see how it would work. Um, the part that you can't take out of those companies is the brilliance of Mark Zuckerberg and Kevin Systrom, the founders who knew that, you know, they saw one opening that was, you know, very small in hindsight, like Facebook was a tool for Harvard for one college that then expanded to the next college. Like Instagram was launched as an app called Bourbon that was for check-ins. It was kind of a Foursquare competitor. And then Kevin saw that people were trying to filter their photos and Kevin and Mike created this photo filter app that happened to be at the exact moment that iPhones were taking off and people were starting to take photos with their phone for the first time in history. So there was like that serendipitous luck with intense focus on one problem. So that part for me is the hardest part of like when you're starting. I do think there's serendipity in a lot of these companies. There's, there's like a lot in the founding teams, but there's a lot of timing that happens and you do have to be, you have to be, you have to time it right. So, and, you know, like the Instagram had some pretty big people come on and use the platform that validated it really early. So, I mean, Facebook happened to launch at Harvard and then well, I forget what their second school was, but they spread through like the Ivy League. Right. And then like imagine like you're getting pure saturation of every little community before you go to the next one. Like, it's, yeah, it's hard to replicate those. Yeah, from a momentum standpoint, though, I think you guys are doing a great job with ProKit because you have a lot of contributors on there who have written or recorded or put 
really unique and interesting content that is relevant to the target audience that you're looking for. How have you built those relationships with those people or or influencers? You know, I use the word influencer as an influencer in your community where people are looking to them to gain knowledge. How do you build those relationships? Yeah, that it's been that's been the most fun part for me by far because you know, I've been so heads down in tech land for so long now that being able to go out to these events. So last year I did, you know, Cascade Gravel Grinder and Grinduro. I did Escape from Alcatraz. I did one of the Grasshopper Gravel events here in the Bay Area. So just being at these events, doing them, talking to as many people as I can. And then, you know, picking up the phone or sending an email. I think that's how we met. I, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, guess, I, I think it was I, LinkedIn. Emailed. Oh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, you know, I look at, I'm looking at people in the community that are creating like thoughtful, inspiring content and, or that have expertise who haven't been given a voice before. And that's, you know, I think, you know, if you look at any of the big platforms that have emerged, even blogging in like 2002, whenever it, it, things come that give people a voice like they're transformational when they give people a voice who hadn't had one so when i look at at this you know i look at what we're doing with ProKit. there's so many coaches and sports nutritionists and sports psychologists and experts out there who instagram is not really their platform right like you don't tell your your sports nutrition voice through photos like it's just not i mean you can but like it's not and for a coach, you know, they don't have the they don't have the name of like a pro athlete, like a great coach. But they're the ones that if you, it's so nice to be able to bring some of those coaches on to ProKit and and see. And that's why we have a product called Collections, where if maybe you're a great coach or you're a great gear researcher and you're not a writer, but you can curate content. You listen to all the podcasts. You know which things are good and you bring that content together and then we can surface it for people and help help people understand what you think is important. So yeah, it's that part's been has been really exciting for us. How do you not get overwhelmed or burnt out? Because I know that you said that at Facebook people would burn out in three years and especially when you're leading it yourself, you're so passionate about what you're doing and there's a million different things you could be doing. How do you stay centered and avoid burning out? Uh, you'll have to check in with me in a couple months. <laughs> it's that's been it's been a uh, I mean the fun thing about a startup environment is you have these little wins. You know, like you have wins and you have losses where you spend all sorts of time on something and then it just doesn't happen or doesn't go the way you plan. And because you're a small team, you spend all this time on it. You almost like lost a week of time just chasing something that you thought was going to be good. But then you have these little, like we're, we're making our first merchandise, not I mean, we're just a couple things for ProCap, but getting something little like that done, and then hopefully we'll be able to distribute it. Like those things are sprinkled throughout your week where you're seeing progress get made and things move forward or, you know, you invited someone on to ProKit who you really respect. And, you know, this, you know, you and Laura King have both shared some really insightful content on kind of going through pregnancy as athletes. And, you know, both of you, when you've shared, th- those were like surprise posts on ProKit when you shared those, where it's, 
it gives me that like that's like two weeks of like happiness when something like that happens where there's like this content that didn't exist that's now there where it's then helping a new community of athletes connect with something that there wasn't information on so i was at grind duro when laura king posted her first you know pregnancy post which was really you know that that sort of thing is like weeks of happiness as a founder when that happens so so it sounds like looking for the wins every single week and celebrating your wins because it's natural to have a lot of losses if you don't have losses that means you're probably not trying to get outside your comfort zone to stretch and grow celebrating success is really hard for a lot of people what do you do specifically to celebrate success Huh. I don't know if we're doing that super well yet. Or even just I, personally. It, I think it's like the little, it is little things like, you know, Angela and I might, you know, Angela's my co-founder. She's an ultra runner who worked at, at Facebook with me. And the one thing on, on successes is, is, is also making sure you're not chasing the little wins so much. They take you off your path. Like I'm trying hard not to celebrate successes where they're not on um, a path that's going to lead to ProKit succeeding. So when, you know, when we get a note from someone that, or something, even just that taking the, the two seconds to send it to each other and say, Hey, this worked, we got this feedback or like those little things that like little validation of this week, our big goal was to get three posts up and you get them up and, you know, someone and something good happens from taking the, the time out to acknowledge that and send that note. It's the same thing as like, as we were talking about at the beginning about people wanting to be seen at a big company, there's like processes and systems that go into place so that that can happen. But even with its two founders, like making sure you take the couple seconds out to send a note that like this went well, thank you. Or this is awesome. Like next week we'll have to do it better. What are you going to do with ProKit as it as it grows? Because it's going to pick up even more momentum than it are, than it already has, and maintaining culture as things grow is hard. So, how are you going to do that? It's interesting. We've been in kind of building mode, but Angela and I, for months before we started building anything, really has you know we'll go back to this. We've spent before we started working really on the product, we spent probably three months mapping out how we were going to make decisions, what our values were, kind of our community guidelines, like what we wanted the product and the community, like what things we wanted to nurture and support. And right now we're kind of in that building mode where like those are in the back of our heads, but they're there. We haven't had to call on them that much because we're such a small team. It's just the two of us. But those are already there. So when when we start hiring, or hopefully when things you know when things scale, we're going to go back to those. We'll have already been building the product and kind of how we bring Prokit to the world as an like e- extension of those values, and then we'll bring the, you know people in with that same lens. So I think we'll be going back to that really, like the the kind of almost like the founding documents that I haven't read in in six months. Those become much more important as you start bringing people in you and talk- hiring people who understand them. Yeah. Hi- yeah. The hiring people part is a lot more challenging than I think people realize. Like hiring good people is a skill. It is. 
Yeah, it's especially because you have to understand your your strengths and weaknesses. Because maybe you're good at starting those conversations, but bad at finishing them, right? Or some other thing. Like there's usually something that holds everybody up in hiring, or you're a perfectionist and you can't. You know, no one quite meets every checkbox that you have. So, yeah, how have you found how have you found that hiring people? Um, yeah. Honestly, my husband's been really helpful because when he started scaling his business, I got to watch how he and then they, whenever he formed the team, hired people. And they use Patrick Lencioni's guide of looking for people who are humble, hungry, and smart. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because when you start delegating, you have to trust people. When you give away the password to your website or someone has access to the company bank account, like things like that are scary because there could be really big failures and and missteps associated with that. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to talk about meaning and happiness. That was also in the article that you wrote. A lot of times we hear, you know, people that listen to podcasts or read personal development books, it's like finding your purpose or searching for fulfillment or how to be happier. And those things are not the same things. So how have you defined meaning and happiness and can they overlap? Yeah. So, you know, the, what you're referencing is so when I left Instagram, I had been in such a race for nine years at one company, like really never took my head up. And I walked out to like a little cottage. I walked out there and wrote these 10 things down that I wish I wrote, basically wrote down like what I wish people had told me when I got started. Like, what are the obvious things that were just sitting there? And now they're already getting fuzzy a couple of years later. But they were so clear when I wrote them down. And the meaning thing was me just checking in on like meaning and happiness. Like it's very easy to chase happiness. It's, you know, it's like the short term thing that's going to lift you up. Right. And like this, you know, maybe it's watching some show. Right. But meaning is like an investment where it could take six months of like grinding towards like a higher purpose or something like meditating every day or you really committing yourselves to you know like a major product launch or an initiative at a company that could make or break the company or your life as an athlete like things where it's painful and where it doesn't feel happy in the moment but where you have a purpose and your purpose hopefully is also giving back to the people around you like I just kept noticing more and more that the people I saw who had built really meaningful careers, they made hard decisions to kind of choose meaning over happiness. And, you know, I'm trying to think of like examples of it was just such a clear observation for me of the people who I looked up to at work and who kind of had become my role models. Like they weren't chasing the everyday little like ups and downs of happiness. They were, they kind of found their higher purpose. Higher purpose sounds like, (laughs) you know what I mean by that? Like, you know, they, they connected to like a North star for themselves as a person or the company or something bigger than them that they could contribute to and, you know, built goals around that. But that usually comes with trade-offs. So yeah. And the, you know, the trade-offs are that you skip out on some of the stuff that could be fun because you're chasing this thing that's hard and daunting. Yeah. It's like loving work for the sake of the work, not for the shiny thing that you're going to get. Cause the shiny thing, 
like I'll use an example of being an athlete. Like you're, you want to be fit for a race. Like this is something that everybody can relate with, but cookies make you happy. Happy hour makes you happy. Those are short-term things that, you know, in that moment you're happy, but it's going to be taking away from your bigger goal and the grind, the work, the, the having direction towards something is where the meaning comes from. But fulfillment, I think, really comes from the grind and the hard work and loving to learn the work for the sake of the work itself, not for the thing that you get at the end. Because I, I don't know about you, but whenever we're like grinding towards something and we get the thing that we were working so hard for, it's not as good as you think it was going to be. Like if it feels good for a second and then you kind of feel like, okay, well, what's next? And we, we put our happiness off into the horizon of I'll be happy when I achieve X or whenever I finish X. But then whenever you get there, the thing that's left in front of you is the love of the work for going towards something else. So if you have meaning and I love how you described it, it's like, if you can love the meaning part, then you're not going to be depressed whenever you get towards that goal that you're going for, because there'll just be more room to keep grinding for the next thing and the person you become in the process. Yeah. I mean, the word you just like loving the process, like that takes a long I feel like we're trained from little kids to think like that, you know, work is this thing you're supposed to do and get done as fast as you can so that you can go be happy. But I like, I love vacations. Like we traveling all the time, but one thing that's taken me like decades to understand is that there's times when I'm just as happy sitting at home working as I am on vacation. And like vacation is this thing where you're supposed to be happy, but it, those little realizations of like you can love the process of whatever it is you're doing and yeah it's a little bit of a change in outlook of like you know connect to the higher you know the the bigger thing why you're doing what you're doing yeah find things to be grateful for with it yeah and along the lines of vacation or not grinding like the aimlessness piece can also be really hard and knowing that aimlessness can also be a good thing, but it's also a really hard thing because it can make you enjoy the work when you have it. But when I'm on vacation, sometimes it takes me several days to start enjoying it because I feel so aimless and it doesn't feel good because I'm used to being so focused on working. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for ProKit to wrap this up, anybody can join, right? Yeah. Anyone can join. Can anyone contribute content? Yes. And we'd love, and on the content side, anything from your race reports and personal goals where people can help your friends and other athletes can help cheer you on to, you know, you're a a content expert, you're a nutritionist, you're a coach, you're a brand with like scientists on your staff who can share insights. So I think we're trying to unlock insights that are going to help people reach their physical and mental potential and get inspired to get outside and get after whatever you're getting after. And so any content in that realm is, I think, you know, really interesting. And if you're not a content creator, similar to like Pinterest or House, if you've used those, like you can collect the content that other people are creating. So if you're researching a trip or you're trying to get smart for your next race, or you're trying to understand what your strategy on nutrition should be, there should be a lot of content already on Crokit that you can collect to read later or just to help you do your research. Awesome. And it's just Prokit.com for people. 
It's the pro kit. Oh, the pro kit. Ah, oh, sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we didn't have pro kit. So it's, yeah, it's the pro kit, but on Instagram, it's just pro kit. <laughs> All right. The pro kit.com people. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the podcast. I mean, there's so many different directions we could have gone and it was honestly really hard to, to try to pick like what way to go because there's just so much I wanted to ask about being at Instagram and at Facebook, but that is in the past. It affects the present, but it was so fun to learn all the different things, nuggets of wisdom and things that you've done along the way. So I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And also just thanks for making this show. I've gotten a lot of value on it already. And it's a great example of like all of you're curating so many different types of minds who have expertise here. So I think it just shows you can get it from any side. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. That was such a great episode. And I'm always so inspired after getting to talk to these great guests. I learned a lot from David and I hope you did too. And if you want more, make sure you check out the Common Threads podcast where David is the host and sign up for free at ProKit.com where you can get content from tons of really interesting and thoughtful people and to join a great community of athletes. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. And I am with you on this journey of growth and adventure and being better every day.